Genesis 50 will be in verses 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's, father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Thank you, Alexis. In my early years of ministry, I remember a mentor of mine sharing that he would always rather preach a funeral than a wedding. And I was surprised by this, so I asked him why, and he shared with me two reasons that I've never forgotten. The first one's a bit of a pastor joke, a little humorous. Uh, the second one has a more serious tone. So the first reason he gave me was that nobody's videoing, right? Uh, as a pastor, if you preach a funeral, nobody's videoing that, and if you mess up, it's not on record for the rest of your life. Again, just a bit of a pastor joke. The opposite's obviously true at weddings. Uh, but the second reason that he gave me, I never forgot, he said, everyone's listening. Everyone's listening. Right? Funerals have a way of sobering us into the reality of eternity, don't they? It causes us to think about the uncomfortable idea about the end of our lives. And I tell you that because we began the book of Genesis with a wedding and we end it with a funeral. Our text today uh, allows us the opportunity uh, to think about the uncomfortable idea of the end of our lives. It also presses us to consider a future hope. So as Lance said, we're finishing the book of Genesis today. Uh, the final verses of Genesis, they point us to the life and the legacy of Joseph. Now we've covered Joseph over the past several weeks uh, and we have seen that he is a man of obedience. Uh, we've seen that in spite of being thrown into a pit by his brothers, uh, sold into slavery, and in spite of being falsely accused and thrown into prison, uh, that he was a man who lived a life of consistent faithfulness and obedience. What I want to say in addition to that is he was a man who left an amazing legacy when he passed. In light of this, guys, my hope today is to expose the text and reflect on the life of Joseph. I want to see how maybe we can also live a life of faithfulness, how maybe we can also leave a lasting legacy and do these things as we consider the brevity of life. So uh, a few weeks ago, Lance started us off in our study of Joseph, and I think just preached a fantastic sermon pointing us to the reality that, G that Joseph, or that Jesus, excuse me, is the greater Joseph. And that although it's helpful to look uh, at Old Testament passages like this and find the moral lessons that we can find, and that's right and good, uh, that the goal of our heart should not just be to see uh, the moral uh, attributes that we can emulate uh, just for that sake, but to see the greater connection to Jesus, right? To always look and see how the text points to the life of Jesus. And so today we're gonna look at some moral characteristics in the life of Joseph. We're gonna do that and it is right and good, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is to stir our hearts with a greater affection for Jesus. I thought of this in light of Advent starting next Sunday. As we approach this text, maybe it will stir up a longing in us, a desire in us uh, to long for our Redeemer in a new way. So let's start by reading verses 22 and 23. I know Alexis just read those for us, but we'll set up our time in this way. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. 
Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. So when we were first introduced to Joseph, he was 17 years old. Now he's 110. These, these two verses, they almost sound a bit like a living eulogy, don't they? Uh, I mean, the author provides a little bit, Joseph's age, a little bit of backstory, um, provides the, the, the fact that he was survived by his children and his grandchildren. And if you think about it, these two verses, they, they kind of are a living eulogy. I mean, Joseph's at the end of his life, and he's making preparations and plans for his funeral. Now, his early life, they, it was filled with drama. Right, I've already said this, but his early life had tons of drama. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely accused, uh, thrown into prison uh, under false accusations. But in the midst of that drama, uh, we're looking at a man who was obedient. He was faithful. He trusted God, and he persevered in spite of his circumstances. And what we can see in this text is that he stayed in Egypt. Okay, there's actually more than meets the eye in verse 22, which says, so Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. It actually tells us a lot more than we realize because if we dig in, if we do the math, we find out that Joseph lived in Egypt for 93 years. Yes, that's a long time. 93 years since he'd been lifted from the pit that his brothers threw him in. 80 years since he first stood before Pharaoh and approximately 60 or so years since the death of his father, Jacob. And so once again, he stayed in Egypt in all of this time. Now, thankfully for his sake, we can assume from this text that uh, he, the last 50 or 60 of his 93 years, uh, that they were fairly drama-free. That's, that's an assumption we can make from this text. We, can also, we also learn from this text that, he, that Joseph was able to live among his family, that he was able to know his children and his grandchildren, maybe even his great-grandchildren. He had a lot of family around him. What's interesting is a lot of people think uh, that the fact that Joseph was uh, obedient and faithful in these later years of his life and these drama-free years is equally as impressive as the fact that he was obedient in the drama years. And, and the reason for that argument is because, as we know, when things are drama-free, a lot of times we get bored. There's the day-to-day -day routine. There's the grind. There's just the mundane that we have to live in. And boredom often leads to temptation, and temptation often leads to sin. But we don't see this in the life of Joseph. Joseph invested his life in what mattered most. During the past last 50 or so years of his life, probably with a lot of mundane days, Joseph saw that the people of Israel were protected and he saw that the people of Israel were provided for. And he remained faithful to God in those years. Brings us to our first point, that leaving a lasting legacy requires faithfulness. It requires faithfulness. I recently read a book uh, by an author uh, by the name of Eugene Peterson, uh, that I bought simply because I love the title so much. Now, I'm not in agreement with all of what Peterson's written in his years, uh, but I sure like the title, uh, and I sure like this book. The title of this book is titled, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I love that title. Now, in his book, Peterson communicates the idea that Christianity in our time, it's been captured kind of like with a, kind of with a tourist mindset. Right? Uh, when, when we travel to new cities, you guys have done this, uh, you have a short amount of time, and so you just want to kind of hit the high points, right? You want to see what you can see, uh, the high points of the city, and then you want to move on. And, and that's a right thing to do when we're traveling, when we're tourists. But uh, Peterson's point in his book is that a lot of us have adopted this mindset into our faith, into our Christianity. We just want to kind of have the tourist mindset. To this point, uh, he quotes, 
the person whom I lead and worship, among whom I counsel, visit, pray, preach, and teach, want shortcuts. They want me to help them fill out a form that will get them instant credit. They've adopted the lifestyle of a tourist and only want the high points. The Christian life cannot mature under such conditions and in such ways. Got me thinking, guys, faithfulness requires a long obedience in the same direction. It's one of the ways we're faithful. The, the last 50 or so years of Joseph's life, guys, they're, they're referred to by scholars as the silent years. And they're referred to in this way because they're probably just normal mundane years, right? Joseph probably just got up, he went to work, he took care of his family, took care of what he needed to take care of, nothing too exciting. And yet we look back and reflect on his life and we see this man is faithful. And, and I say that because um, guys, a lot of us that live in this instant culture, this instant gratification culture that we live in, that's been conditioned to have short attention spans, we can, we can fall under the false idea that unless we're doing something major for God, that we're not doing anything at all. And I just want to remind us this morning that some of you, some of you are doing exactly what God wants you to do, right? You're being faithful as you get up and you go to work. Uh, as you invest in your marriage, as you shepherd your kids, as you invest in the life of your grandkids, uh, as you get up and invest in your church, as you invest in others in your community group, these guys, these kinds of things, as they're often how God shapes us and molds us as we live along obedience in the same direction. It's often a way he grows us in our faithfulness. So I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope some of you are encouraged by that. But I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that just as some of you are encouraged, there might not also be others that are discouraged. Right? I had this thought because there, it can be easy to see the life of Joseph as perfect. Right? And it can be easy to think that we have to be perfect just like Joseph in order to lead this kind of legacy. Right? Some of you may be thinking that it's too late for that. Maybe you have too much baggage. Maybe it's too late for you to lead this kind of legacy. And I just want to encourage you this morning to say that's not true. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's never too late. You have the opportunity this morning to, to repent, to confess of your sins, to be cleansed of all unrighteousness, to begin to allow God to change you into a new creation and to begin a life of faithful obedience. You have that opportunity this morning. It's never too late. I'll share a story with you about a friend of mine uh, who was in his mid-50s, who a few years ago passed away from a heart attack. Got a call from his wife. I was on my way home from a trip. It was about this time of year, actually, and uh, the family had invited me over as they wanted me to officiate the service. So uh, I did what I always do. I went and I printed off uh, an outline that I use as a pastor to go meet with a family during this time to make sure that I ask the right kinds of questions uh, to help build a, a funeral service, something that would um, uh, honor the, the man and honor God. And so as I sat down with the family, I walked into the living room, I had my outline, uh, but before I could even use it, uh, the wife actually handed me a manila envelope. She just kind of slid it across the table to me. I'm sitting around the family table with them. And as I opened up the envelope, I was shocked. Guys, what I saw was that this man had mapped out his entire funeral service in advance. Um, he'd mapped out everything, outlines, scriptures, songs, funeral home, people involved, burial location, all of it was done. And something else he did as he put specific instructions in there that he came from a background with a largely Jewish uh, history, largely Jewish uh, family. And, and the only request he made of the, the sermon that was preached at his funeral was that, um, that the preacher would somehow contextualize the gospel in a way that would make sense and connect to his Jewish family. And I was impressed by this, guys. I mean, 
Mapping out a funeral service is not easy. A lot of you guys have done this, and it's not always like this. God works in all different kinds of ways, so I'm not saying this is the only way to do it. But I was impressed by the fact that this man had thought ahead, that he'd mapped out his funeral, that he had led his family, and that he was leading his family even after he was gone at that table. Because there was a peace that was around that table that I've never experienced as I've sat with the family in that time. And I thought, man, he's leading his family in the funeral service. And he's, always, he's also pointing his family to a future hope. I thought, man, that, that's amazing. And, and so I can't tell you that because if you're discouraged, I want to tell you this also, that my friend wasn't perfect. See, he didn't come to Christ until much later in his life. He had a lot of baggage. He had lived a reckless lifestyle, and he had the stories to prove it. But later in his life, God captured his heart, called him to himself, and he was radically changed radically changed. And his family, who had seen this old person, uh, now saw a new creation in Christ. They saw the humility that came out of him as he was clothed with humility. Uh, they saw, heard the confessions. Uh, they began to see the way that he invested in his marriage. They began to say the, see the way that he shepherded his kids and began to serve his church and give to others. And it was a totally different person than they'd seen before. And it wasn't just an overnight thing, right? I'm not talking about just the kind of overnight change that people often self-proclaim. But I'm talking about a change, a long obedience in the same kind of direction kind of change that people cannot help but witness. And I tell you that, if, and just in case any of you are discouraged, know that that's this man's legacy now. The fact that he was faithful, the fact that he was obedient, the marriage that he left behind, the, the way that he shepherded his kids, the way that his kids are now all following Christ because of the way that he lived his life. That's his legacy, not all that baggage that he had before. So if any of you are here thinking, man, it's too late for me to have that kind of legacy, be encouraged. It's never too late. Today could be the day to turn it. Regardless of your situation, though, if you're encouraged today, if you're discouraged today, let me say this. If you don't set your heart and mind to be faithful, you won't. You won't be. If you don't set your heart and mind to be faithful, you won't be. Faithfulness takes work. And I'll say this. It doesn't take a busy kind of work. It takes an abiding kind of work. John 15, 5 is a verse that so many of you love. I love it. It's dear to me, right? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Guys, let me say this to all of us today. The greatest step towards faithfulness that we can take is abiding in the God that called us into faith and abiding in the God that keeps us in the faith. That our faithfulness begins and ends in Christ. So let's look back at verses 24 and 25 as we see Joseph point his family to this future hope. It says, and Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Honestly, guys, these two verses are verses that I've just passed over before. I've read them time and time again as I've kind of finished up the book of Genesis, kind of set my mind for the book of Exodus. But uh, unless I, unless, without having a chance to dig in, I really haven't spent a lot of time on them until now. But in these verses, Joseph's actually doing something special. See, the coffin in Egypt, this, this reference to the coffin, this coffin in Egypt, it's a symbol of the past and it's a prospect of deliverance in the future. So Joseph's reminding his people, his family and his people of who they are, and he's pointing his family to where they will someday be. He's reminding them of the promises that God made to them to take them to a future promised land and that one day they're going to go there. 
I just thought, man, that's, that's something special. He's pointing his family to a future hope. Joseph invested his life in what mattered most, and now he's pointing his family to what matters most, right? And he's also leaving a legacy. He's leaving the legacy of pointing his family to a future hope. I thought, man, that's, that's the second observation today. Leaving a legacy, lasting legacy requires investing in a future hope. See, regardless of all that Joseph had seen God do in his life over the past 93 years in Egypt, he never forgot who he was. That's amazing to me. 93 years in Egypt, and he knows that Egypt is not the final destination. He knows this is not where his people are going to arrive. And so he reminds them of God's future promise. He points them to the promise made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then he made his family promise to take his bones with him whenever they left. My daughter Trinity heard me say that. I was practicing this, this sermon, going through this sermon, and she goes, Dad, that's kind of gross, right? You're going to take his bones? Yeah, they are. He made them promise, hey, take my bones with you when you leave this place. He's pointing his family to this future hope. It's remarkable to me, guys. Over 93 years of living in Egypt among this pagan land who worshiped pagan gods, the fact that Joseph was even married to an Egyptian woman, like he never adopted the culture that he was living in in all of that time. He never forgot who he was. He never forgot the promises that God made. And here he is pointing his family to this future hope. He remembered that God would bless the people of Israel to be a blessing to all nations. And so after a life of long obedience in the same direction, he points his family to that future hope. And there's also, guys, there's no doubt that he remembers the prophecy that was given by God to Abraham in Genesis 15, 13. And just to remind you, in this verse, Genesis 15, 13, the Lord said to Abram, this will be on the screen for you, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years years. See, that prophecy was given back in Genesis 15. His father Jacob knew it, he knows it, and he's setting his people up for it. He's setting his people up. Hey, this is not our final destination. One day, one day, a long time from now, you're going to be leaving this place, and when you do, take my bones with you. Pretty cool. That's, that's exactly what's about to happen in the book of Exodus. The people of Israel are going to be enslaved for 400 years. 400 years. Last week, Kai talked about the, the verse in Genesis 50, 20, where Joseph said to his brothers, although you meant evil against me, God meant it for good. Well, just to remind you, God made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He'd make them into a nation that would bless all nations. In the Joseph story, we see uh, his brothers sell him into slavery we see Joseph rise to be the second in command of all of Egypt. We see a famine come into the land that brings all of the Israelites, the 12 tribes of Israel, into the land of Egypt. And we see that God is actually going to, uh, he means for them to be put into slavery for this 400 years so that they multiply and they become this great nation in one location. It brings all the, Israelite, all the Israelite people in one location to multiply them so that he can redeem them, so that he can shape them, so that he can mold them into his people that will be a blessing to all nations. In the Joseph story, we see that God who created and orders all of our days and our steps mean for all of this to happen. Like we've talked about God's providence so much in the Joseph story, and we just see it 
come together as we reflect on his life. Because Joseph knows that Egypt's not where the people of God are stopping. They're going to be there a long time, but this is not their final destination. Points them to a future hope. As all throughout our study of Genesis, we've continued to connect uh, the book of Genesis to the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, uh, specifically Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith chapter, right? Uh, And in this Hall of Faith chapter, we can continue to see uh, the author of Hebrews point back and capture some of the great faith stories of these patriarchs in Genesis. What's interesting to me is out of all of the stories that the author of Hebrews could have captured about Joseph, out of all the things that he did that were amazing, he points to this verse, this bones verse. And he says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. That's the one that the author of Hebrews points to. Out of all the things that could have been chosen, it's because it's that big of a deal. Joseph is pointing his family to this future hope. So after 400 years of slavery and all of that, do you think that they remembered to carry out the bones of Joseph? Yeah, they did. They did. In Exodus 13, chapter, verse 19, it says, Moses, this is just before the parting of the Red Sea. The scripture says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, 400 years later. What that means is for 400 years, families have been passing down this story, passing down this story, passing down this story, pointing their families to a future hope, pointing their families to a future hope, longing for redemption. Someday, kids, we're not going to be here anymore. Someday. And when we leave, hey, we're going to take Joseph's bones with us. He said so. We're going to do that. We're going to remember to do that. And they did. It's amazing. It's also recounted in the book of Joshua. Just awesome. So Joseph left a lasting legacy because he was faithful and because he pointed his family to a future hope. Yes, something else we've talked about all throughout the book of Genesis is the fact that we're pilgrims in a strange land, right? That earth is not our final destination. That we're pilgrims spending our lives going someplace. That we're going to God. And that our way to get there is by faith in Jesus Christ, our present and our future hope. So let me say this. Like Joseph, investing In our future hope, it's a good way to live, and it's also a good way to die. Earlier, I mentioned that uh, one of my early mentors told me that he'd much rather preach a funeral than a wedding. Um, And the reason for that is because he said funerals have a way of sobering people into the reality of eternity. I think this text offers us the same opportunity. I do. The last verse, verse, Genesis chapter 50, verse 26, it says, So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. That's the final verse in the book of Genesis. Joseph died. Leads us to our final point, that leaving a lasting legacy requires that we consistently consider the brevity of life. Consistently consider the brevity of life. Uh, I love how God tends to minister to me during preaching weeks. Uh, it seems like whatever text he puts in front of me or topic he puts in front of me, somehow, some way, he's going to allow me an encounter throughout the week leading up to Sunday to, to apply it. Uh, to just have uh, an experience with it that changes me. And so I'm thinking back to Monday night. Uh, my wife and I just finished the Crown Financial class uh, that was led here at Crosspoint by David and Lisette Engel. Uh, by the way, fantastic uh, class for you guys to go through. Anybody uh, truly was blessed by that. That'll be offered again, hopefully, in the future. I encourage you to sign up for it. But on our last night, uh, David and Lisette, who did a fantastic job leading that class, they, they led us in really 
they led us towards this idea of considering the brevity of our life by pointing to Psalm 90 verse 12, uh, which says, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. So they pointed us towards considering the brevity of life with that verse, and then they presented us with two questions as a result of that verse. Uh, And I thought, man, these two questions are so relevant to what I'm gonna be talking about on Sunday, I can't help but present these to you as well this morning. So here's the first question, it's gonna be on the screen for you. Estimate the number of days you have left on earth. How does this impact your thinking? Number two, based on your number of days, what actions will you take? Some pretty good questions. So uh, this got me to thinking. I've got a way, got me to thinking, hey, how can I illustrate this to the church on Sunday? Uh, what can I do? We've got a lot of extra littles in the service on Sunday. Uh, we've got all different ages and stages in here on Sunday. Uh, how can I get people's attention with these questions? And so I thought, all right, I'm gonna do some cal- cal- calculations. Um, so I'm just going to do some math. So I, I came up with the average, average age of 80 years old. And I just broke that down and with some numbers. So 80 years old, average lifespan breaks down to 960 months, 960 months, or it boils down to 29,200 days. And I thought, okay, how can I illustrate this? I mean, how can I get 29,200 of something? To just kind of talk to the people in the room about how many days we might have left. And I couldn't do it, uh, but... I did get 960. So in this jar, I've got 960 jelly beans. Okay, this is to represent basically the average lifespan, 80 years uh, in months. Uh, there's approximately 960 in here. There's some root beer flavor. It's pretty good. So approximately 960. So, so man, this, this, this will capture attention, right? This will get people's attention. So what, uh, I thought, man, along with this, let me just ask the question of a bucket list. How many in here have ever created a bucket list? Things that you'd like to do before the end of your life. Yeah, me too, right? I've got one, you've got one, I get it. As you look at this jar of jelly beans, I want you to consider the number of months that you have left. Most of us in this room, probably maybe a little more, some of us, right? Most of us in this room, about half maybe left. As you consider your bucket list, how are you going to spend them? How are you going to invest the final months of your life as you consider being faithful and as you consider leaving a legacy? When I was younger, I had a bucket list that I'm not proud of. Uh, I, was, uh, I wanted to be a millionaire by the age of 30. Uh, I wanted to always find the next great adventure, uh, the next form of entertainment, um, the next romantic relationship. Uh, I wanted to get some more stuff that I thought was going to make me happy. I'm not proud of it. I look back on those and I think, man, that's, I consider that wasted. It was wasted. Those things left me empty. The pursuit of those things left me broken. And thankfully, in that brokenness, God brought a friend into my life who shared the gospel with me in a way that I could connect with. God was calling me to himself and my life transformed. Not overnight, but my bucket list began to change as I considered how I wanted to spend the rest of my life. And so I ask you the same question this morning. How are you planning to spend the rest of your months chasing the things of this world or investing Investing in the things that matter the most.
something to consider this morning. Okay, will you allow the Lord to lead your life in faithfulness in you, as you invest in your future hope? Maybe something for you to consider. Guys, when we realize that we're not ultimately living for the things around us, that there is an eternity, it's sobering. And it causes us to think deeply about what matters most. So I ask you that question, what matters most this morning? Uh, Monday night, when these questions were asked, I'll just share with you. I mean, there was, there, it was an amazing time. Right? People shared some really deep and transparent things. And those are their stories to share, not mine. But I'll tell you that not one of those things had to do with anything temporal. They all had to do with something eternal. It's a sobering time. You think, man, if we just had a few months left, if we really think about the fact that this life is but a vapor, it's but a mist, what's most important? And every single person talked about investing in their faith, investing in their family, and investing in others. As I would hope so. When we consider the gospel, we consider the opportunity that we have by faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be made into a new creation, to be made righteous in him, to be allowed the opportunity to live for eternity forever with him. When we consider the brevity of our life and how short this life truly is, what else matters than investing in our future hope? and pointing our family towards our faith, pointing to them to that hope as well. It should change how we spend our time. It should change how we spend our money. That should change how we plan for the future. Our lives should look different than the rest of the world as we consider these things. As we start to live for different priorities, as we start to live for different possessions, as we start to live with different pursuits. We hear about these kind of things happening in the church all the time. That's what's so encouraging to me. Right? All the time here at Crosspoint, we hear about stories of life change. We hear about stories of adoption and fostering and orphan care. We hear stories about students and adults giving their time and resources to travel the world on mission to go share the gospel with other people. We hear of marriages restored. We hear of people investing in the lives of their kids, discipling one another, discipling one another in community group. Yes, we hear about all kinds of of amazing things. And every week we have the opportunity to experience the amazing generosity of people realizing that the resources they've been entrusted with, their time, their talent, and their treasure are not truly theirs, but they, all of it belongs to God. And they use these time, talent, and treasures to build his kingdom instead of their own. We hear these stories all the time. I just go, man, I'm encouraged by that. Because in this little, this little church community that we call Crosspoint, we've got a lot of people here that are longing to leave a legacy. They're pointing themselves, they're pointing their family to what matters most. And it's hard in this area, guys. Anybody ever heard the term Rockwall Rich? Right? We live in a prosperous community. There's stuff everywhere, and our hearts long for that stuff. I know mine does all the time. And so it takes a consistent reminder for me to point myself back to the gospel to point myself back to what matters most on a consistent basis. So what's in your bucket list? As we just reflected on the life of Joseph and we've considered these long mundane years, these silent years that he's lived, this faithfulness that he lived in a long obedience in the same direction as we considered the legacy that he's left as he pointed his family into the future, what's on your bucket list? As what actions will you take? I'm using up all my illustrations in one sermon, but let me just see a show of hands for how many of you guys remember your grandparents' names. A lot. What about great-grandparents? Anybody remember their great-great-grandparents' names? One, maybe two. 
What do you think our great, great grandkids are going to remember about us? Not going to be the stuff we acquired, the property we acquired, the amount of money we had in our bank account. Based on what we've just seen, they're probably not even going to remember our name. What might they remember? Maybe, just maybe, they would remember that God used us to invest in what mattered most by instilling a faith in our family, pointing our family to a future hope. As you know, in the entirety of the Joseph story, we never read anything about a special revelation from God to Joseph. Not one. There's not angels that come to see him. God doesn't speak directly to him like he did with Abraham. Not one. So how did this amazing man leave this kind of legacy? How did he have a faith to begin with? The consistent, the consistent idea is that it was passed down to him from his father, from his family. That Jacob made a deposit of faith into Joseph that God used to instill in this man Joseph and carry him to the end of his days in his faith, in faith. Remember, out of all the amazing things that this man did, the author of Hebrews points back to the fact that he pointed his family to a future hope. That's how we lead our families, how we lead ourselves, and how we lead our families, how we point them towards Christ. It matters more than anything else we could possibly think of. Let's consider that this morning as we consider the brevity of lives and what kind of legacy we're going to leave. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to look at this man Joseph's life, to reflect on what we've seen over the past few weeks, this man's faithfulness, his legacy. I thank you that we have stories like this to emulate. But God, thank you that all of these stories point us to you, that we need you more than anything else, that nothing else matters than you. So, well, God, we just pray that as we consider these things this morning, as we've been sobered a bit by the brevity, considering the brevity of our life, that you would not allow this moment to, to just come and go, but you would truly allow us to dig in and consider what matters most, and that you would instill in us a courage and a faith and a perseverance to keep going, that you would provide the community around us to spur us on towards love and good deeds. And God, in the midst of this prayer, I just thank you for what you're doing in this church, that you're doing in this in the life of so many here. God, help us to continue. Help us to continue to leave a legacy that points to you and give you the glory for all of it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.